I admire a lot of things about Nick, but I'll pick one thing for now, and it's his willingness to take risks. He does not let a fear of failure get in his way, and this really has led to so much creativity and innovation and joy in his work and in his relationships with kids and co-educators and families. And this fierce courage is so inspiring and contagious and Nick has really pushed me out of my comfort zone both personally and professionally and that has allowed me to grow. Also I can't miss this opportunity to express the gratitude I feel towards Nick for helping us raise our two children. He creates a safe space for parents to be vulnerable and he embraces the messiness that comes with that and it has contributed to us becoming better parents. So to the Nordies, Nick is and always will be family. All right, y'all. So everyone knows that child care is essential. We're some of the most influential people out there. Yet, we are often overworked and underpaid. So how can you work full time, have hobbies, show your friends and family love, self-care, and also fine tune your skills and grow more in depth? That's where we come in. These NAPCAST 25, 30 minute segments are designed to help you learn on the go. Hear another perspective, spark debate, <laughs> heck, even agree with us. But honestly, remind you that you're not alone. We live in a complex world, so allow us to challenge your perspective. So are your headphones in? Did you turn the volume up? All right now, good. Let's get it. Hello, everybody. It's me, Nick Terrones. Pronouns he, him. Welcome to NAPCAST a podcast put out by Hilltop Children's Center mm-hmm. on the traditional lands of the Duwamish people, also known as Seattle, Washington. And I'm here with my co-host, Mike. Hey, hey, hey. Pronouns are he, him. What's up, everyone? How y'all doing? I'm acting like they can actually respond back. I don't know why yeah. I said that. <laughs> I, I think they are. Yeah, 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 yeah. of course. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. So, uh, Damn, I'm, I'm, I was thinking about this, right? And you've been here for 14 years, man. Yep. 14 years. So I kind of want to just dig in and be like, just talk about your experience here and, and kind of kick it back. So is that is that cool? That sounds good. Yeah, I'll have to rack the old memory. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I'm just going to jump straight into this, man, because for as long as I've known you and we've worked together, I still kind of don't know the story of how you got to ECE. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, I, I heard snippets of it here and there, but never really the whole story. So jog that memory back, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to run it back about 16 years ago. You know, you're, you were a young strapping man at that time. I had abs then. <laughs> I had abs. There you go. And then you had a couple of beers. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I think what, 16 years ago, you were entering sophomore year? Some, yeah, maybe that or junior year. Gotcha. Yeah, some in that time frame for sure. Yeah, what college? At Washington State University. Uh, go Cougs. <laughs> but, um, you know, what were what were just some of your defining moments back then 
that made you want to go into ECE? And then just like, what made you decide on Hilltop? Yeah, well, yeah, in college, I, um, you know, I started off as an elementary ed major. And part of that uh, coursework was to take human development courses and some early childhood courses. And I was just blown away by the fact that people were taking preschool seriously and really taking play seriously. And that for decades and maybe hundred plus years that there have been people actually um, turning this into a science and carving it out as a science. And so just to really see it as a social science really just kind of blew my mind because I've always been fascinated by by people and why we do things, what leads us to do things, why why are we the way we are? And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. a lot of that is because of our childhoods and our experiences, uh, early experiences. And then, you know, and I'm, I'm hoping to have a podcast or a napcast about it sometime down the road. But I had a family member that was um, and I haven't really thought about this until recently, but a family member who was physically abused in preschool. Mm. And I feel like I kind of saw some of the results of, of, or the effects of, of that. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so I think subconsciously I had it also in my mind of like, I want to, I want to work in early childhood and any kid that comes through my care is going to have uh, a more than an uh, exceptional experience. And because of that family member. Um, so, yeah, I was just really blown away by the, uh, the science behind it and, and the fact that people were taking it seriously. And we were shown one of these uh, videos that Hilltop used to produce um, in one of my courses. And, and they're still available for sale. Oh, you yeah. know, if you got a VHS, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we got to get those converted. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a good plug. <laughs> and uh, they, it was, you know, we watched um, a video about uh, how watching emergent curriculum in action. Because I think for a lot of people, the, the idea of emergent curriculum just seems like this willy nilly, like free for all kind of thing. But really at its core, it's a very structured, very intentional um, framework of working and uh, playing with children and, and teaching and learning. And so when I saw this video, and the the passion and the intention that the educators, um, our, our own Sarah Felstener and and our alum alumnus Ann Pello, they you know what they were putting out was it just really resonated with me, and I thought like hey I got some ideas you know mm-hmm. it it might be cool to see if to go work at a place like that, and I I just happened to apply and you know as we know with early childhood education. There's always a job opening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Unfortunately, true. there's high turnover. Even though Hilltop has has done really well traditionally to to retain educators, we generally have you know some people coming and going. And someone was leaving, and there was an opening spot for me, and so I took it. Mm. So, what made you decide to go on EC as opposed to? Because I know you as a history buff. So, right. was that the two competing courses? No, it was just elementary ed. Like I just wanted, I wanted to be a, a kindergarten teacher or from kindergarten to third grade. Um, and I did take a lot of history classes just for fun. You know, I was there for four years. Why not? You know, throw them in there. Um, yeah, I just, I wanted to be able to. And the other thing that was really alluring to early childhood was um, the fact that there was a lot of flexibility as opposed to the bureaucracy of 
uh, public schools. And, you know, I think early childhood education is still a place where there's uh, allows educators to be themselves and to really bring their whole selves into it as, as opposed to other um, systems of education. Now, during your time at Hilltop, you spent like what, through three years, two years in a preschool classroom? Um, yeah, something like that, two or three yeah. with three to five year olds. And then you, you moved over and spent really about the last decade in the toddler room. Mm -hmm. So what about toddler classroom drew you there and, and kept you there? It was, you know, at first when we kicked off at Hilltop, our first toddler program, um, it was, uh, <laughs> it, it was a little like Lord of the Flies kind of thing. And, mm. and I remember kind of peeking in and, and seeing some of the educators just sort of like with a very daunted look on their face and just kind of sitting back and, you know, kids ripping off their diapers and like running around naked and like, um, and, and, you know, we do want kids to be kids and what kids want and what all humans want are some form of structure. And, you know, I felt like I had, I don't know, the three to five year old range kind of started to feel a little monotonous to me. Mm -hmm. And I knew nothing about toddlers really outside of my, outside of my own family. And I wanted to see how I could help shape the toddler program using our Reggio background and uh, idea of emergent curriculum. So it was a lot of room and a lot of breadth for um, experimenting mm -hmm. and like refining as we go. And so, you know, and after like, yeah, my first year, I was just like this, I found myself learning more than, mm -hmm. than like my first two or three years of college. Like it was really yeah. just being on the ground, hands-on, and just really finding that space of, of like, wow, I'm, I'm learning, I'm being challenged. Um, I'm learning about myself and like personally, and yeah, just all kinds of growth coming at me in, in uh, multiple directions. And now I know you've done some coaching in the background with toddler programs. Is that, what's, what's some of the advice you would give them, especially as they're starting out building a toddler program since you've been in the, in a toddler program for so long? You know, I think um, one of the biggest things I've been telling even parents and it's, and it, this translates to toddler educators is childhood isn't linear. Mm. You know, some days, some things, work and sometimes they don't and that's okay and just like all human beings toddlers don't want to be fixed they want to be heard they want to be acknowledged they want to be validated um and sometimes that means they got to just be in their emotions um and i would also put the perspective that toddlers are are torn that they you know for the first year of their life they're pretty reliant on people doing things for them and with yeah. them yeah. And then now they, and they've spent that first year, year and a half of observing, and now they're ready to put things into action. So what we see as impulsivity is really them actually um, trying to figure out how the world works. And with that, you know, every behavior has a need. It's not just random. Um, and, and really just that I would, I would implore educators to think of toddlers as being really capable. Mm -hmm. and, and that they can do more than meets the eye and what's uh, expected of them. Cool. I mean, so, you know, we talk about 
children growing, right? Mm-hmm. And now I want to reflect back, kind of like this parallel process, right? We reflect on the child's growth, and I want you to reflect on your own. So you went through a ton of growth during your time here, and you know we try to focus on all the positives, but let's mm-hmm. be honest, you know sometimes we've had hard and sometimes disappointing times in our in our professional careers. So yeah. talk to me about some of the tough periods you've had here. And how did you grow from it? How did you push through? Yeah. Um, you know, when I, when I reflect on these tough times as an educator, I'm, I think a lot of the things that come up are, are the times of being in relationship with mm-hmm. other people, mm-hmm. because that's the good core of our work in early childhood is relationship. And I'm mostly reminded of like when I, when it was uh, these relationships were in conflict of opinion or values and approaches to early childhood education. Um, I also like to think of this, you know, this career is much like being in a parenting dynamic, Mm. you know, you know, especially at Hilltop, but we're usually in um, a teaching team of three people rather than a duo. But ultimately we all want the same thing you know, to be authentic, respectful, fun, and loving experience for the people we're serving, children. And we all have just different ways of getting there. But all, we seem to always be saying the same thing just from different angles. And sometimes, you know, though personality conflicts are at the core of it, I think that, and that's that's okay too. We have to acknowledge that some personalities just don't get along. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, but leadership or admin or whatever you want to call it needs to be aware of those dynamics and like really strive for a balance of trying to, you know, yes, help teams work it out, but then also just make adjustments as needed. Sometimes, you know, I think relationships are kind of almost like this arranged marriage, right? Like sometimes it's just forced to go on longer than it maybe needs to. And, you know, I was kind of in a situation like that before. Now, would you say, because, you know, you're on the ground, you're in the classrooms, and I'm part of leadership now. Mm-hmm. So would you say, and leadership is such a funny word, because we're all leaders in this field, right? We're yeah, all yeah. Doing, so, you know. Yeah, thanks for <laughs> You know, yeah. language, language matters, you know, um, and perspective does too. But so do I just go and ask you? Do I just... How do I, because we're always, you always hear in, in EC and in schools, there's always some sort of divide in, you know, us versus them, admin leadership versus yeah. educators. So we're always trying to be intentional and in, in bridging that gap, make sure that we don't stray too far from each other. So do I just ask you, how's it going? Or do we have that trust where you can come to us and how do we build that? Yeah, I think it's, it's kind of both. And like, and again, when we're in relationship with one another and relationships are, um, authentic and genuine. Mm. So I think it's making sure that you do have an authentic yeah. relationship with the people you're leading or, you know, the program you're guiding. Um, then you can kind of, you know, feel the temperature of a room and, 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 and obviously people grumble to one another. <laughs> and because again, we want to be heard, right? Like the kids, mm-hmm. we're going to come, we might complain about one another and, and our, our feelings are generally going to be worn on our sleeves. I feel like, mm-hmm. um, and so I think it's that approach of yeah, asking and and assuring educators and other admin uh, leadership team people that 
that there is a safe space to come and no. to mm. kind of unload if need be. And then really, you know, if, if really balancing it out of like, uh, oh yeah, we've been hearing this a lot. Like yeah, at some point we've got to just cut the cord, I guess, yeah. so to speak. <laughs> um, because I think sometimes if it goes on too long, you know, resentment and animosity and generally a, a sense of disdain can accumulate all these like small things start to build up and then it just topples over, exactly. over small situations. What do you call it? Combustion chamber or what's that? Where do you use? Uh... Oh, I don't know, but I like the combustion. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think that's it. Um, and you know, this, this is a small example of, you know, a while ago, maybe six years ago or so, like I had, <laughs> I had, this doesn't sound really stupid and silly, but I own it. And like, I remember having a very strong anti felt board stance, <laughs> you know, with one particular co teacher, mm. co educator. And hi, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and I really think by that point, our team dynamic had become so tumultuous mm. and was allowed to sustain too long. So it was like two years into it. And it's yeah. like, all right. At, some, mm -hmm. at a certain point, there was time for it to just like be re reconfigured. Um, yeah. And so they had brought up, you know, this point that they wanted to bring in a felt board activity. And frankly, I didn't like the idea and I didn't like it at the time because to me it felt too quote unquote, like preschooly, yeah. like the typical and traditional sense of what preschool is thought of. And, um, and to me, what we do really well at Hilltop, what we're known for is making this concept of preschool uh, against that traditional grain. And, you know, our classrooms have like a living room kind of feel. There aren't too many bright overstimulating colors. It doesn't feel commercialized like other environments might. And so at the time, you know, the idea of a felt board coming in rubbed me the wrong way. Um, but really our relationship by that point was just built on these like annoyances of, with one another uh, and unspoken differences of our pedagogy. And I was just, you know, I totally shot them down and was not like at all flexible about this felt board idea. And lo and behold, this year I have a new teacher who brought it, who wanted to do felt boards and I welcomed it with open right. arms. But growth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, growth. And, you know, and, and of course, there are many times where I think to myself, like, oh, I wish I could just be with that person for another like week and show them how I have grown and kind of own up to my mistakes or whatever, like through my actions or, mm -hmm. or even just in words. And, um, you know, I, I really feel like people don't change. You just become more of who you actually are. Mm -hmm. And I wish that I would have kind of already been there at that point in my life yeah. um, of where I'm at now. And, um, and we kind of talked offline a little bit about this, but, you know, another sort of difficulty I've encountered and am encountering is this idea of change that's, you know, happening currently within our organization. And it isn't just change per se, but I guess change without the transparent reason or drastic change that seemingly to me is neglecting history and tradition. Mm. And, you know, lately we've been talking about how Hilltop culture is, you know, essentially everyone who is in Hilltop making that culture mm -hmm. and participating in the school. And I totally believe that. And I think there is a balance, though, because to me, 
culture doesn't just exist in a vacuum to be filled up with whoever's there, but it also comes from somewhere. You know, in general, when we think about culture, culture has its roots and it has tradition that should be relied on, built on, built upon, innovated with, rather than just sort of, you know, pushed to the side with like out with the old in with the new sort of approach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think that they're, they're, while we do try to innovate ourselves and change ourselves, we do also need to figure out how do we still honor what was built by the people who came before you. And, you know, and I, again, I was telling you, I'm thinking about that with the lens of like, of uh, like indigenous thinking and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I so, think this is, this has been like one of the most fascinating periods mm-hmm. that I've, I've ever been part of an organization because not only are we in COVID right now, right? So that brings a whole different, you know, lens to what we have to do from licensing to, you know, quelling down the anxiety of everyone here because we're in person, you know, and um, but we're, we just onboarded what, 20, 20 plus new educators. Yeah. And we just opened, for people who don't know, we just opened up a, another site. You know, we're not franchising, don't worry, but <laughs> uh, open up another site to be able to be responsive to our community needs. So yeah. all of these different new things and new leadership, you know, because I still think our Darlene, who's our executive director, she's only been here for six months, six maybe months, yeah. something like that. So, And I just got promoted. So there's a lot of different new blood, new energy, new ideas, and really just trying to figure out how do we blend these two. This is what Hilltop has been and has gotten us to the point as we approach our 50th year um, in January. And how do we combine that so that we're around and we're changing and we're adapting with the times. So we're here for another 50. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, that question of like, when, when, when some of us say, especially as old timers are like, you know, well, this doesn't feel like Hilltop or that's not Hilltop. Mm. And then it's put out like, well, what is Hilltop? Mm. And it's hard to, sometimes it's hard to, um, that's culture. right? Yeah. And it's hard to sometimes just like have words ready to, to explain that. And there's that saying of like, it's hard to understand from the outside looking in and it's Mm. hard to explain from the inside looking out. Mm. And so, you know, I'm not saying that's like, you know, obviously the, (laughs) the way it should be. And, and we do need to evolve for sure. And yeah, it, uh, I guess that's just sort of my, uh, the difficult things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But what you said, you said something earlier and it got me thinking about just kind of the next question I want to ask. Hmm. Imagine you could go back into time and leave a message for 21 year old Nick, right? Mm-hmm. What would you tell yourself? Oh man, I was a whirlwind. <laughs> Um, I would tell myself like, and this goes back to the things that I was just saying, a passion is okay, but be careful and tactful with how it comes off. You know, sometimes in the past and even currently working on it, my passion has made me like too reactive. Mm-hmm. And at, and I think it gets so blinding to people that the overall message and feeling gets lost. And it's been hard for me to slow down because my passion ramps me up and I end up steamrolling other people's ideas and feelings Mm -hmm. and has kept me closed to other potential ideas. Um, I'd also tell myself 
to, you know, find that capacity to say yes more than no and to keep striving for balance. And then, well, with 21-year-old Nick, I'd say, you know, don't party as much. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Nick. You don't know me, um, but I stumbled upon your podcast a few months ago and wanted to reach out just to express um, my gratitude for all the work that you do, your compassion, your patience, your knowledge um, that you so clearly express um, and share with those that you work with and for the children that you teach. Um, And some things when you said, oh, I identify the feeling I have, I say that word out loud and then I own it and then it doesn't control me. That was huge. That really spoke to me and how you incorporate teaching um, as a care team, which is something I try to do in my own practice as a healthcare professional, but knowing that it's being approached in the education forefront was really eye-opening and I didn't ever know that and just wanted to express my thanks that there is someone like you out there teaching our young people is amazing and gives me hope. Um, So thank you. We'll be right back. Hilltop Children's Center is a high-quality preschool, after-school program, and professional development institute of early learning and inquiry, serving the Seattle community since 1971. Together, we are working with the next generation of inventors, leaders, thinkers, artists, and social activists. For more information on our professional development and community outreach, including workshops, presentations, blogs, coaching and consulting, and of course, this NAPCAST, please visit www.hilltopcc.org. Hi, this is Heather, and this is... Weehan. What did you want to say about Nikki? (laughs) Did you like having Nikki as your teacher? I like Nikki as my teacher. (laughs) Yeah, I was really excited to see that Nick... When I got the name, Rehan was our first child to go to preschool. And when I got the name, I looked him up on LinkedIn and I was super excited, all, all his teachers on LinkedIn, but I was super excited about Nick because he was one, he was uh, a dude and two, he was brown, which was very important to me because my children are brown dudes <laughs> and um, having representation in, in teachers, even at this young, I think is incredibly important. Yeah, it's going to be on a podcast. So there's a reason why we call this episode, My Growth, My Evolution. Because we're talking, we're taking the time to to talk about how you've grown over the years, Nick. Mm-hmm. And uh, the next cycle of evolution you're about to dive into. So, you know, you've been slowly making the rounds and slowly telling people. Um, but I guess it's time to just kind of let our listeners know about this exciting news, you know, you're about to dive into. So go ahead. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I would say breaking hearts too. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, after 14 years of being at Hilltop, my home, 
I, I'm leaving. I'm flying the nest, mm. and I'm um, going. I took on a role uh, as director for Daybreak Star Preschool just up the street in Magnolia, mm. here in Seattle still. And um, it's a it's a school, the only school in Seattle that has an indigenous peoples based curriculum and approach. Um, they're a smaller school, um, and you know, from what I gathered, they're ready to 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 make, to make steps into growing their program. And, you know, they felt like I, I could be a, a person to help them do that. And so, yeah, everybody, I'm, uh, I'm leaving, leaving the classroom for a role behind a desk, most likely. One of us. One of us. <laughs> no. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to like gain weight because like, you know, I'm so used to just like having, um, this human jungle gym of, of <laughs> yeah. children to be able to like throw around and whatnot. Congratulations, man. Thanks, Mike. It's yeah, it's bittersweet. You know, uh, I think I told you and I've been telling everybody the best way I feel about it is that it's, it's like, uh, like knowing you're preparing for a long trip away from home and you know, you're going to have a feeling of homesickness. Mm. So, was was that the most difficult part of making this decision? Or if not, what was? Uh, you mean like le leaving Hilltop? Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah. I mean, le yeah, leaving, leaving my comfortability, right? And especially since we've been talking about like change and all that. And, you know, I've only come to learn that change is the only constant in life. Mm. And you're better going with the flow of change than you are like totally swimming against those waters. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I think a little bit of it being like, is this, is this something that I'm ready for? Mm. And is, um, you know, and it's intimidating when you look at a, a job description or any application and, and that there's something at the top of their list of desired attributes that you don't have. Mm -hmm. I guess in my case, it was the uh, like masters or whatever. But I've always been under the assumption, I'm like, you know what? Over my 14 years of, of time here, <laughs> I've done like, if not the equivalent of master's work, you know, of keynote speaking, publishing and video making or whatever. I'm like, just give me the damn masters. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. So yeah, that, I think that was... Um, those two things of yeah leaving my my comfort zone and and wondering very briefly if i was ready for it so why now what makes you ready for this change this growth how do you know or how how did you decide that you were socially emotionally and mentally ready for it <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, you know, I mean, you and I like talked offline a bunch and you, uh, you helped me process it mm -hmm. a lot. So I appreciate that. And, you know, why not? And I think you kind of presented that to me. Like, when was the last time you were interviewed? Right. Yeah. It was like 14 <laughs> years ago. And I, I, I really loved the challenge that you gave me of like, you know, go see if your interview skills are still sharp. Mm -hmm. I, and, you know, and, and apparently they are. And um, <laughs> it, you know, I think I could keep growing in this 
one capacity and keep trying to carve out things for myself as an educator. Or I can think of it as like, you know what, you have done that. And why, why not try to carve out a, um, a new path using the foundations that you have carved out with? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and I told you this, and I've been telling lots of people this, like, there's always going to be reasons to say no to something. Yeah. But what happens if you say yes and just take a chance, you, you know, and um, I've also been telling people like there's two ways that this can go about, you know, and only time will tell because time is the wisest of counselors is I could either do a really bad job or I could do a really good job. Mm. And so why not put all all my faith in myself that I'm going to do a really good job and let's see what I can do. Um I think socially, yeah, just talking with people. And as I was telling them the news, you know, obviously I don't think anybody's going to say, oh, you shouldn't do that. You're going to do a horrible job. <laughs> but, you know, and maybe they are thinking that. And I'm a kind of person that thrives off of that, like, feedback um, to, you know, to, to prove people wrong. Mm -hmm. But also when it's, it's an interesting time being in the COVID, the times of COVID, you know, because we are – you're forced to look into somebody's eyes mm -hmm. as you're delivering news or whatever. Yeah. You can't read the whole face. And what do they say? Like the eyes are the windows to the soul. And yeah. so, you know, as I was telling people this news, you, I could just see all their expression in just their two eyes. Yeah. And it was, it was sort of this really surreal feeling mm -hmm. um, because you're, you're for forced to focus on the eyes and sometimes eyes like lit up with disappointment and sadness and simultaneously and then shift to like joy and, mm -hmm. and feelings of pride in me. Um, and, and it was just a really, uh, it's a really interesting social, social moments. Um, and then emotionally, um, you know, I, I, I really, and again, like I told you, like with all the changes coming to Hilltop, I, uh, when, when we, um, I guess for the lack of a better word, when we argue or when we talk about it, mm -hmm. you know, I'm arguing or I'm pushing back for a sense of understanding, mm -hmm. you know, not just to be confrontational or disagreeing, but just so I can understand. And, and so once I finally got a good understanding and I was like, yeah, I'm all bought into all these new changes and I want to like see what's going on. And that was also, I guess, a tough thing emotionally was like being like, oh, I don't get to be a part of this new change. Yeah. Well, maybe I don't get to be a part of it in this capacity, but maybe the, in this other capacity I can be. And, you know, working with you in that capacity and, and you know, I think that you and I can maintain and sustain a like a good bridge between the two schools and really build each other up for mutual growth. Yeah. And so that helped me emotionally, just really thinking about it. And then obviously I think that um, feeds into the, into the mentals part where, you know, I think if I feel solidified emotionally, then that's, it, it just feeds into the mental part. And, um, and really again, like, you know, uh, disregarding the, the, the voices telling me, Oh, well, you don't have a master's like, you're not going to be saboteurs. qualified for this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The saboteurs and just kind of, and knowing, you know what actually is knowing I, 
when I think about this and what made me feel super confident mentally and emotionally was knowing that I'm not going into this empty handed, mm. mm-hmm. you know, of like 14 years. If I can a wealth of knowledge, yeah, wealth of knowledge and wealth of connections mm-hmm. and relationships. And fortunately, I have not burned <laughs> any of the bridges, you know, and even with the felt board teacher, like we still have a pretty amicable relationship. And um, yeah, I uh, so I feel like I'm not going into this empty handed and I have all this. I have a tool belt and a life preserver and all these things ready to just jump in to to thrive. I don't even see it as like, am I going to survive? Yeah. I'm like, how, like, what am I going to use to help myself thrive? And so, yeah, I feel it's, it's, I feel oddly comforted and confident mm. to, to just do me, yeah. you know? Well, you definitely have a support system here for sure. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I will on Monday because you just outed me and told everyone that I pushed you <laughs> to take the job. No, so no, I might not no, show up. No, I said you helped me process. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I got some angry listeners right now. <laughs> so I, I want you to, to kind of put on different caps here to answer this next question. Um, and you can think, You can thank Nordy for this tactic right here. Yep, Sarah Nordhausen, (laughs) great coach, everybody. Uh, But, you know, you mentioned there was a couple of saboteurs on your shoulders telling you that you weren't ready. Mm -hmm. So I want you to think specifically about your interactions with the families that we partnered with, your interactions with your coworkers, your interactions with admin and leadership over the years, your, um, you know, your interactions with the community. What have you learned or gleaned from each of them that's prepared you for this next step in your journey? Yeah. Um, so for families, I would say perspective. Um, and especially, you know, going in with uh, working in with these families um, that are, are a lot of them are going to be native uh, families. And in general, though, I believe families bring with them their experiences and stories that have all shaped who they are individually and as a familial unit. And all of that brings different perspectives and perspectives, you know, about how to raise children, what teaching and uh, teaching and education should and be uh, look like, and generally just how to live in the world. And so really just, I think, acknowledging and honoring, um, that there are other perspectives than my own on with coworkers, uh, flexibility, communication, and persistence are things that I've learned. Um, a lot of that, like being in a teaching team is about holding a balance of those things. Mm -hmm. You know, as with families, we all have differing ways of approaching teaching and learning various ways of viewing children in childhood, but ultimately we're all there for children. And like I mentioned before, I've learned that it's a it's a tightrope walk when balancing how much to be flexible and being mindful to not totally sacrifice oneself just to keep the peace, right? Sometimes you have to have conflict to be able to grow and understand. Um, I guess with admin, I would say balance and threshold 
of like innovation, transparency, and communication. Um, you know, there's some things educators need to know, and then there's other things that they shouldn't know <laughs> that they need, just need to worry about mm -hmm. about the classroom. And and but ultimately, you're not a leader or you're not administration if you don't have the educators. Um, just as the educators aren't anything if they don't have families and children. Uh, and then I guess with community, like the first thing that came to my mind was support your schools from early childhood education all the way up. Um, you know, schools and early childhood education are should be viewed as a reflection of how your community will be. Beautiful. So I guess before, you know, so going to this last question, before you went into break, I asked you, imagine you can go back and leave a message for 21-year-old Nick. So I'm going to ask you that again. I'm going to ask you to imagine. Imagine if 2020 Nick could meet 2030 Nick. What would 2020 Nick, this is a tongue title. what would 2020 <laughs> Nick say to 2030 Nick? And then what would 2030 Nick advise, advice would be to 2020 Nick? Hmm. I wonder if I would like, I would hope 2030 Nick would actually ask questions and maybe just listen with repose and kind of just mm -hmm. maybe give myself a stern look <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, or, or kind of like seeing right through me kind of look, you know, like the kind of like your grandma did when oh. you're like, Oof. when you're like a kid or something. I got chills. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I would say that 2030 Nick would ask me, 2020 Nick, did you find ways to say yes to people? Did you find ways to, to yes, be flexible and also stay true to your values? And were you amicably able to amicably able to disagree with people in a way that made them feel respected and that they that they do have worth? And then also, did you find ways to, you know, to do that without disagreeing with them? Because I think this, I don't know, for me, conflict is it's just something that is i uh that is something that i thrive with mm -hmm. um and i think the advice would be to to keep growing and to keep holding the capacity of fine, of of honoring different perspectives and then also maintaining the persistence to to adhere to my like self values mm. and to con and to keep like, keep building relationships, um, you know, for, for the ultimate goal of, of bettering humanity, I guess. Cool. Well, man, I'm, I'm, I know you're not gone, right? I know you're just off the street, but I'm going to miss you seeing you in these halls each and every single day. And, um, you know, love you, brother. I love you too, Mike.
And we're not we're not <laughs> done with Napcast though, right? No, absolutely not. No, we're, we're still just here. doing. We're going to do it a little slowly and differently. So what you don't know, right, mm-hmm. is. Or should I, let me turn my attention to to the audience right here, to our listeners. So over your time here at Hilltop, mm-hmm. you know, you've been a fierce supporter of racial justice in and outside of the class. And while there's no great way to say thank you, Nick, you know, for the countless hours of service you've given us over the years, I thought of one way in which we, you know, can honor you. So we're setting up a one-time honorary scholarship in your honor. So you identify as Indigenous and Latinx. Mm -hmm. And this scholarship is specifically going to a family who identifies as such. What? (laughs) Which I know is near and dear to your heart. So I am turning my attention to the audience. You know, given the times we live in, we understand if it's not in your means at this moment to support, you know, this special scholarship in honor of Nick. But if you have the opportunity and resources to contribute, we would be absolutely grateful for your thoughtfulness. And you can um, donate by visiting www.hilltopcc.com backslash Nick. Damn. <laughs> that's, that's, that's an honor, man. Thank you. Uh, I don't know what to say. <laughs> you totally just took me by surprise, yeah. Mike. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> oh man. So appreciate you, man. We love oh, you. thanks, Mike. <laughs> Thank you, Hilltop. Oh right. man. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we'll be back at it, you know, in a couple of weeks. And um at that time you'll be you'll be over at daybreak, um, doing a big. So keep your eye out for our next message or our next episode, y'all. All right. Take care, everyone. All right. Take donate. Care, y'all. <laughs> yeah, donate. <laughs> Hi, this is Vidya, and my son has had the great fortune of being in the raindrop room with Nikki over the last year. Um, and we're just so grateful to have had Nick um, as a teacher, not only for our son, but also for us as parents. And one um, specific memory that I have is one of the early days that we had been at Hilltop. Um, I came to pick up my son from the classroom and he was jumping off of the kind of side of the couch onto a big bear pillow on the floor. And I remember just thinking like, oh my gosh, you know, he's doing something he shouldn't be doing. I need to tell him that, you know, that that's not allowed. And started to tell him that. And then one of the teachers kind of said, you know, no, like this is, you know, this is something that we've been exploring all day. And the kids have been showing that um, they can do this safely. And they're kind of exploring, you know, big body motions and things like that. And in fact, Nick has even hung something from the ceiling. So as they're jumping, they can kind of try to hit it as they um, before they kind of hit the pillow. And I just remember um, that being such an aha moment for me. You know, I think so much of um, being a parent, especially a first-time parent with our first child, you have these instincts of protection that that kick in that you just want to kind of keep the kids safe and make sure they're not taking too big of risks and, you know, risk the chance of getting hurt. But I think one thing I've really learned from Nikki is that, you know, kids are, are constantly um, testing boundaries and showing you that they're capable of 
of trying the next thing and exploring and taking risks. And that's how they learn and grow um, and also just have a really great attitude, I think, towards trying new things um, and exploring. And so um, that lesson is one that we've really carried forward in the way that we parent both um, our son as well as, as our new baby. Um, and it's just been invaluable. And we're just going to miss Nikki so much in the Hilltop community. He's such a you know, wonderful educator, again, for everybody in the community, not just the kids. Um, and just want to wish him all the best in this next amazing step. Um, and his new school is just so lucky to have him. So thank you, Nikki. And I hope that we'll keep in touch. All right. Bye. Hi, this is Mila. And I'm so grateful um, for you. I like that we had Holy together, and I like um um no, I'm not done. Um, and I'm grateful for you to be no teacher, and it's Mila. Hi, Nikki. And today, what's your name? Ferret. I'm a ferret today. <laughs> Bye. I like you. I like you get O's for me. You like um, O's when he got uh, O's for you? I'm a cockatoo. And Bye. you're a cockatoo. Bye. Bye, Nikki. Bye, Nikki.